Okay. Um, any questions on, on what we, we talked about so far? And John are on this morning's sermon specifically. I know had at least one this morning, but the questioner is not here. Sheila's got one. Right, let me do this. We'll, we'll, let's pray, and then Sheila, um, you can say what you got there. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for bringing us together again tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and giving us your word, making yourself known to us, making your will known to us. Lord, we're so thankful for the indwelling presence of your Spirit, empowering us to do what you called us to do, enabling us to understand and giving us understanding and application as well. Lord, we pray, help us to be word-saturated people so that we are so influenced by your word that we, we walk according to it, that we, we don't just do it um, as some kind of exercise of the flesh to see how much we can know, but so that we will seek truth, so that we will seek you above all things, and in doing that, seek to please you in all that we do, and so that we will be witnesses to this uh, world around us that is perishing without Christ. Lord, um, we pray... Use this study to that end. Um, this, these next uh, minutes that we have, we, we pray use your truth to, to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. We pray that in it all you are honored and glorified. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sheila? You want I don't think it was. It was. My understanding is that they would do it some in a corporate sense, um, which which is kind of ironic because we tend to do just the opposite. Um, and either way is is uh, either way is best. But they they my understanding is they would do it some in a corporate sense so that they would speak of God as our Father. You know, our being the Jews, the nation of Israel. You know, um, but it wasn't a common. It doesn't appear to be a common thing like 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 we do today um but it you know i don't throw this out too and i I hate to admit you know i grew up in the um tv generation and all that so sometimes you know when i speak of things you know it's 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 coming out of that influence um (laughs) which is sad to say sometimes but y'all were talking about reading a book earlier and i'm I'm, I'm thinking you know I, i saw the movie i saw the movie but i hadn't read the book that's sad but at any rate has anybody seen Fiddler on the Roof? Everybody, has everybody seen that? Can't remember. Can't remember? <laughs> it's, it's, it's excellent. So, I mean, if you get the opportunity to watch it, watch it. I'd love to rewatch it. Um, but one of the things that is neat to me that, that I'm assuming is pretty common in Jewish culture, and I'm, I'm not saying, don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying because they do this that Jews without Christ are saved. I'm not saying that at all. Because uh, they could be doing it, uh, you know, they, my, my assumption is they're doing it totally out of tradition. 
But nevertheless, they do it. If you watch Fiddler in the Roof, you will see an example of how, how uh, this intimate tendency that they do have. In other words, he just talks to God almost as though he's just... He talks to God like he's there. I mean, let me put it that way. And, and that's good. Uh, although, um, apart from Christ, it's, it's futile. <laughs> but it's good for a Christian to do. A Christian, ought, we ought to do that. We ought to be comfortable talking to God as though He's really there because, because He is. He's really there. But, but yeah, that's just an interesting um, aspect of that movie. They try to portray uh, how, the, how the, you know, faithfully, I'm assuming, how the Jews um, act and, and think. And in, in that setting, Leslie, is World War I or World War II? Fiddler in the, on the roof. I forget which. But it's, the setting is, is that time. It's either... It's either um, World War One or World War Two, but it's very good, very good. But but I but I think at least from what I've read, you know that in that in Jesus' day, like she, Sheila was saying, that kind of intimacy was not really common. And then here Jesus is um, revealing God as Father, and uh, you know wanting the disciples to get that, and we do need to get that. And we need to get it both ways, corporately and individually. Because we, like I say, we tend to do the opposite. We talk, we talk about my, 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 I, you know, I, I, I. And, and really, when, when the disciples asked how to pray, Jesus said, pray this way, our Father. He didn't say, you pray my Father. He said, you pray our Father. So the, the, the corporate aspect is important. You know, we realize we're part of a body. And that's something, especially in America, <clears throat> we have a great deal of trouble with. Uh, understanding that we're we're part of a whole, we're not the whole. You know, we we got more of the me and Jesus got our own thing going mentality. That really comes easy for us, and uh, I think that's something to, to resist. Um, so we do need to understand we have a personal relationship, but we also are part of a body, a whole part of a whole. Anything else? All right, that's a good point because, um, yeah, he's. I mean, you know, what Jesus is doing is making God known. Uh, chapter one, verse eighteen. That's what John says. You know, he came to explain God to us, and that's one of the ways he does it by revealing God as Father, Father, intimate. In fact, Jesus used the term, <clears throat> the the Aramaic term Abba, which was like the equivalent of our our term Daddy, and. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's an intimate term. Okay. Um, we sang a hymn a moment ago, and I just thought, boy, especially the chorus, very appropriate for what, what I'm looking at here in, the, in this passage. Um, I'm going to read you a verse in the, uh, at least one verse in the chorus here, uh, hymn number 390. Trust and obey. You know, we there's so many good hymns, and we just like anything else. You know, we get familiar. Sometimes we sing them without thinking. It's easy to do. Um, verse one reads this way: When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. See, there's a condition there. We walk in the Lord in the light of His Word. When we do that, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, 
he abides with us still. Notice again, there's a condition there. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And with all who will trust and obey. And then the course, of course, everybody's familiar with. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, here's a question. Do, do we believe that? Uh, sometimes I, I think about that when we're singing hymns and, and you know, these, these old established hymns that, again, like I said, we sing so easily without thinking about. Do we really believe what they're saying? These writers, um, I'm not much of a songwriter. I've written a couple of songs, but I know this much. You, what, you, what you're trying to do is put down your thoughts um, the, the way you think and then a lot of times they become popular, songs do, hymns, because they resonate with other people, it's the way they think. Sometimes they become popular just because of the tune, they've got a catchy tune. But is this something we really believe? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And one of the great things about that is that it ties those two things together. Trust which is a synonym for faith, trust and obey. And, and the two go together. And the author, who I'm not familiar with, it says um, J.H. Samus, D.B. Towner. I don't know if the two of them co-wrote it or if one of them did the words and one of them did the music. I don't know. I'm not familiar with this uh, that much with this particular hymn. But uh, the author is, is obviously tying those two things together. Trust and obey, and saying, asserting that there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, I find, you know, more and more, um, it seems like um, what happens in, in a lot of teaching out there is that they get separated. And some say, well, you know, you, you just trust. You just trust. You just trust. You just trust. And, and we shy away from the obedience Part, because it talks about what Ron and David and I, Ronnie and David and I were just talking about a little while ago. Um, it, it implies some effort there, some some work. On the other hand, some go to the other extreme and put a lot of emphasis on um, obedience, obedience, and to, to the point of making it a, a a type of law for righteousness' sake. Well, I think there's a, I think the scripture gives us a balanced approach, a good, healthy um, union of the two. They go together. They go together. Now, what does that have to do with John 5? Well, let's go back. This morning we left off in verse 30, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a little bit here. Let me go back to let me go back to verse 21 where Jesus is talking about himself having the power to raise the dead. He says, for, for, "For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He wills." Now, now remember the main thing that Jesus is doing here has to do with. Uh, his identity. It's the main thing John's doing in the way that he has structured the gospel account and, uh, and in, in Jesus' discourse here. 
the main concern is, the big issue is his identity. Who is he? He's God in the flesh. And so he's, he's fleshing that out, as it were, uh, showing how that, how, that, um, how that is demonstrated. He has the power to give life, to raise the dead, just like the Father does. Then in verse 22, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So now he, he not only raises the dead, gives life, imparts life, but he also um, is, is given the responsibility of judgment. I'm, I'm losing my battery here, y'all. Y'all bear with me just a moment, because if I if I let it die, Leslie won't be able to <clears throat> to hear in the back back there. All right. Okay, so he has he has the power to give life to the dead. He also has the authority to judge. In fact, he's going to be—he's going to go on to say that he's the, the judge at the final day, uh, before whom we'll all stand. And then, uh, again, expounding on that, verse twenty-three, he says, "The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son." So. Um, he has, he has power to raise the dead. He has authority to judge. For, verse 23, the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And then he, he makes this, this statement, uh, this exclusive statement. I mean, no, nobody else can say this. Truly, what, what he's saying here in verse, um, in verse 23. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. So he's saying that the goal here is that the Son be honored. God has... God the Father has has given to him um, the, the, uh, the, the ability to, to give life to who he wills, just like the Father does. It's given to him the responsibility of judgment as, as in terms of finality, fin- the final judge, and all of this so that he may be honored just as the Father is honored. Now, he says in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So then he goes so far to say that in order to obtain eternal life, you must believe, receive His Word, and believe Him who sent, who sent me. And we know from other passages, you, you can it, it, to, to say, believe on Him who sent me, believe on the Father, is, is, is equal to say, believing on Christ. Believing on Jesus. In other words, faith in, faith in Jesus is essential to eternal life. 
It's essential to salvation. And Jesus phrases it here, uh, the, same, the same thought, by saying, you must hear my word. The idea of being received, accepted, actually take it in. So that's, that's the condition for receiving eternal life. Receive my word, or hear my word rather, and believe him who sent me. And he who does this does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Now here's, here's the, the question I want us to think about. How, how do we honor him? He is to be honored. Now that's an emphatic statement. He is to be honored just as the Father is honored. And the Jews, as we see here, would have considered that, of course, a, a blasphemous statement. Nobody's to be honored in the same way that God is. That, of course, is true, but they weren't understanding that Jesus Himself is God and that He's one, in essence, with the Father. But how do... What, what is Jesus calling for here when, as, he, as He confronts those who oppose Him, and as He teaches His disciples, who presumably are in earshot here, what is it that He's looking for? How do we honor Him? And what I'm going to submit to you here, based on what we just read and, and, the, and the, the verses that follow, uh, what I'm going to suggest is that... It, the idea is summed up pretty good in that song that we sing. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Now, let me just set forth as an, as an example. Let me go back to chapter 4 for a moment. And Jesus has just finished His discussion with the woman at the well. And the disciples come from town. They find Him talking with this woman. And she, uh, she leaves, goes back into town. And verse 31 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Because he hasn't eaten. They were gone to get food. In verse 32, chapter 4, verse 32, he responds, But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? They're just thinking natural food. What's, you know, he said he's got food that you, we don't know about. Well, how, did he, how did he do that? You know, somebody brought him something to eat? Jesus is not talking about natural food. And he says in verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He's saying, that's, what, that's my sustenance. This is what sustains me. This is what I feed on. This is what I get nutrition from spiritually. Doing the will of the Father. Accomplishing His work. And then, He goes on to say there, um, and this is not, it's not like He just shifted and went on to a different subject here. In chapter 4, verse 35, he's, ex he's expounding on what it means to do the will of the Father and what it means to accomplish His work. Verse 35, he says, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their rest. So he, he, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then he begins to talk to the disciples about reaping the harvest, doing the work of the Father, accomplishing his work. That is, we would say it this way, evangelizing, getting the gospel message out, making disciples. In fact, that's probably a better way to say it because a lot of times when we, we use the term evangelism, which is the great term, I'm not, <laughs> not against it, but a lot of times when we use that word, we, we, we think strictly in terms of just almost like scattering seed, you know, just throwing the message out there. It's evangelizing. But what we're actually commanded to do in the Great Commission is make disciples. So it's not just aimlessly scattering seed, but it's actually in investing in people's lives to make them disciples of Christ. Discipling them. That seems to me is, is what Jesus interprets as, uh, in this case, as, as doing the will of Him who sent me and accomplishing His work. Now, there are other things too. Obviously, Jesus came... <clears throat> to uh, to live out the righteousness that we that we need, and he came to suffer and die at Calvary. All of those things he had to accomplish as part of the will of the Father and the work of the Father. But notice here he puts stress on um, on reaping the harvest, getting people in the kingdom. And I think, uh, uh, of course, part of the reason for that is because this is going to be the the job of the disciples, right? They're not going to the cross, but they do um, they do need to reap the harvest. And you and I need to reap the harvest. So that's, that's our job. So, in verse, in, uh, in chapter, back in chapter 5, he says, he's, he's going to be the judge in the end so that, or he says it this way in verse 22, the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Now, verse 24 sheds some light, I think, on what He means by honoring. You honor the Son just like you honor the Father. Okay, good. How do we honor Him? What do we do? Verse 24 says, Amen, Amen. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So I, I think what is, what is uh, implied there, certainly explicitly said, you've got to hear the word and you've got to believe on him who sent me, you have eternal life. But what, but what is... What, what is meant by hearing the word? Is is it just? Is there an implication there, or or is or does he just mean hearing the sound? It's just falling on your ears. Well, I don't think that's what he means. If that's all it means, then guess what? All of these Jews that he's talking to are saved because they all just heard his word. And whoever hears my word 
has eternal life. But, but, but they don't. At least at this point, they don't. We don't know. Maybe they became believers later. We don't know their story. But at least at this point, no, they're not saved. And they're not receiving His Word. And I, I think that's what He has in mind here, the idea of receiving His Word. In fact, uh, there are a lot of other um, passages we, we could think about to uh, uh, kind of help us with that. But one that always uh, frequently comes to mind with me is chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. And here again, He's talking to Jews who uh, are in opposition to Him. And he says, if you abide in my word, you are, you, are my, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Notice, notice the, the, the condition that he lays out there. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So he, so he makes a, a distinction there between true and false implies a distinction between true and false. And, if, and he says clearly, if you abide, if you remain, the, the, the Greek word meno there is, is to remain. If you remain in my word, you're my disciples indeed. Or in other words, you're a genuine disciple. And you'll know the truth. And a disciple is, is a learner, right? That's what the word means, just, just a learner. Somebody who, 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 I like to say, follower, you know, because Jesus would so often say, follow me. Either, either to the disciples when he called them, you know, follow me, or, uh, you know, take up your cross and follow me. The idea of a follower. And you see that literally uh, exampled for us with, with the twelve uh, and many others that were with him um, because they literally left everything and followed him. Well, there's, you know, there's a, a sense in which we're to do the same thing. We, we, we follow Him. We follow after Christ. And Jesus says, here's, here's the distinction between a true follower and a false follower. Or you might just say it this way, here's the mark of a true follower. You remain in His Word. So he says to them plainly, and this, this is, is somewhat like uh, the statement he makes to, <clears throat> to Nicodemus. Lest a man is born again, cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Lest a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, unless he's born of spirit and water. So there's, a, there's, there's, there's something that has to happen there. You've got to be born again in order to see the kingdom. You've got to be born again, born of spirit and of the water, before you can enter the kingdom. But similarly here, he's saying there's something that takes place. You have to remain in my word. And if you do that, you're a genuine disciple. If you, and, and again, it's, there's an implied distinction. In fact, the Jews here, verse 31 says, um, Jesus said, chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, so, so he's talking to Jews who profess belief. And then you keep reading and just a few verses down, he will tell them, you are of your father, the devil. These are not believers in the true sense. These are not uh, what we would you know, call Christians, born again um, believers. 
they had a, a false a false faith, um, a temporary faith. They're not going to remain. At least at this point, they're not showing evidence of remaining in the Word. In fact, he says to them, my Word doesn't even have an entrance in you. Okay? So he says, if, if you remain in my Word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you remain in the Word of Jesus, you know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And that's just kind of a... a, a uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just, it's just a, a way of talking about salvation, a way of talking about um, reconciliation with God. You're made free. You're free from sin and, and the, uh, uh, the consequences of sin, damnation and so forth. So it, it's um, just a metaphor for salvation. So it's similar to what we're, what we're dealing with back here in, in chapter 5, except over here he says you receive my word. So what I'm suggesting is, by, by going to chapter 8 and pointing all that out, what I'm suggesting is there's more to it than just, uh, and I'm, more to it than just hearing. More to it than just a sound falling on the physical ear. Those who hear my word. The idea is receive it. Accept it. Obey it. Remain in it. And that's the idea behind, behind remain in it. Obey. Obey. And if you do that and believe on Him who sent me, the ones hearing and believing, chapter 5, verse 24, are having eternal life and are not coming into judgment, but have passed from death to life. Now, you get down to verse 28, closer to where we left off this morning. Um... Verse 27 says, He has given him, that is, the Father has given him authority, the Son, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Um, and you know, and I, I didn't get to that this morning and, and probably uh, not going to have time to go into that tonight, but that, that reference to the Son of Man, I'll just give you this because <clears throat> you may want to look at this on your own. Um, I, I think what he's doing there is, what he has in mind there is Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Um, in other words, he's talking about the eschatological figure uh, that, that Daniel prophesies about in, in chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In other words, he's saying, I'm that guy. <laughs> I'm that guy that Daniel is talking about. Um, the, son, the Son of Man. Uh, so, so he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now, verse 28 he says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Okay, here, here's another obvious place of this distinction. He, he's already said in verse 24, the ones hearing my word have eternal life, but now he's going to say, all will hear, and some will be damned. Some will, some will have life, and some will be damned. So obviously, again, back in verse 24, he doesn't mean, when he says hearing, he doesn't just mean the sound falling upon the physical ear. In verse 24, he's talking about receiving, accepting, following, obeying. 
here in verse 28, um, it is the idea of just, of just hearing. I mean, everybody's going to hear it. All who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Boy, that's a picture, isn't it? I mean, there's not going to be... Nobody's going to stay in there. No, I ain't coming out. <laughs> they ain't going to want... Some of them won't want to come out. But th- this is an example of His authority. All that are in the tombs, they will come out. Why? Because He has that power. He has that authority and He has that power of command. When He says, come, all will come. When He calls someone to salvation, they come. (laughs) They come. They do. They just come. I've heard people use the analogy of coming, kicking, and screaming, and I understand what they mean, you know, but... Technically, that's incorrect, though. You don't come because God makes you willing. So you, you don't come kicking and screaming. You, you come willingly because Jesus changes your heart. He has that power. He makes you alive. And so you come. You come. Well, it's similarly, when He calls everybody to judgment, and it's not to salvation, this is to face Him in judgment, when He calls everybody to face Him in judgment, they will come. This is a summons similar, similar in this regard that it cannot be um, disregarded. Just like when He summons somebody to salvation, they come. When He summons every individual to judgment, they will show up. I've been in a... Uh, you probably all have too. I've been in a, uh, a courtroom when you're, when you're summoned to, to jury duty and they do the roll call and somebody's not there that's supposed to be there. The judge isn't happy about it. And they, and they take it serious and, and they will do something about it. But you know what they couldn't do anything about? Getting that person there the first time. I mean, they may get them there later. They'll send the sheriff's deputy out and get them if they have to, whatever they've got to do. But they didn't have the power with that original summons to actually get them there. I, I, I was actually that actually happened with me one time. I didn't know. I, I mean, I, you know, and, and, and it's true. You know, ignorance <laughs> ignorance is no excuse because <laughs> I didn't know that I was summoned. But I still got a letter saying that a warrant had been issued for my arrest, and if I didn't show up in so many days, <clears throat> they'd send a chauffeur um, to to help me get there. Um, so they take you know summons is serious. And here Jesus has the power to command and make them show up. They'll all come, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What in the world is He talking about there? Is Jesus actually saying that some people are going to be saved, resurrected to life, based upon... Their own good deeds. In other words, some people are going to be good enough to get into heaven and be in His presence forever, while those who have done evil will be cast out. Is that what He's saying? Well, a couple things here. Let me let me just say first of all uh, that nobody's exempt from this court appearance. Nobody. Romans 14 and 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5, I believe it is, Paul says clearly, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's another all that's all-inclusive. Every one of us, believers and non-believers, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all stand before Him. And Paul says in those places that we'll be judged according to our works. So that's going to happen. That's definitely going to happen. I remember a brother saying one time at our Thursday morning meeting, he's not there anymore. In fact, he's gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, He was a Presbyterian pastor. And I remember him saying, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be judged because I'm saved. And we were saying, you know, another brother was saying, Brother, it says we're going to be there. I'm not going to be there. We're going to be there. I'm not going to be there. Well, it says we're going to be there. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Believers and unbelievers. And Jesus says, similarly to Paul, Paul says we'll be judged according to our works. That's basically what Jesus says here. Those who have done good will be raised up, that is, they'll come out of the tomb to the resurrection of life, meaning eternal life. That same, same eternal life John's been talking about all along. Same eternal life uh, Jesus mentioned back in verse 24. Those hearing My words and believing in Him who sent Me have eternal life. And, and this day that Jesus is talking about here in verse 29, this is where it comes to completion. We have eternal life now. Remember, again, verse 24. We are having eternal life now. And we're not coming into judgment. Now. Condemnation. Now. So, in one sense, we already have life and we're already freed from eternal condemnation. Um, And yet, we we don't have it in its fullest form yet. That is yet to come. But this day Jesus is talking about is when that takes place. So, you're going to be called out of the tomb. You and I, believers, are going to be called out of the tomb to the resurrection of life. And it's at that point you receive a new body and live in a glorified state that the Apostle John in his letter describes as being like Jesus. He says, you know, he says basically we don't know what it's going to be like, but we know this. When we see Him, we shall be like Him. So, some, those who have done good, come out of the tombs to the resurrection of life. Some, those who have done evil, come out of the tombs to the resurrection of judgment. That's where the works come in. Um, And I think there would be more to be said about that in, in terms of the believer if we were in Romans 14 or, or 2 Corinthians 5, but I won't go there tonight, just say that there, there, is, there is a, um, even for the believers, there's a judgment of works. But, but let me zero in on what Jesus is talking about here, because he's talking in, He is talking in terms of salvation. In other words, heaven or hell, in His presence or cast out of His presence forever. That's what He's referring to. Here in verse 29. And works obviously play a part in that. Those who do good are raised up out of the tomb to eternal life. 
or to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So, clear enough. But what does he mean by that? Well, I think what he means is this. Simply this. Those who have done good are those who keep His Word. Or we could say it this way. Those who have been saved by the grace of God and are followers of Jesus Christ. That is, we live in obedience to Him. Our, our, our obedience, our obedience to Christ, our life and conduct, our life of obedience to Christ is the evidence of our salvation. Remain, if you remain in my word, you're, you're a genuine disciple, Jesus says. If you don't, you're not. If you remain in my word, you're my disciple. Indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The implication is, if you don't remain in my word, you're not truly my disciple, and you'll not know the truth, and you'll not be free. So the idea here, again, those who have done good is synonymous with those in verse 24 who are hearing my word and believing in Him who sent me. Or you can say it this way. It's synonymous with those in chapter 3, verse 16, who believe in Him, the only Son that God gave, so that they should not perish but have eternal life. Or, chapter 3, verse 18, whoever believes in Him is not condemned But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Do you see the parallel? You believe you're condemned. You you, you believe you're not condemned. You've done good, you're not condemned. Chapter 3, you don't believe, you're condemned already. Chapter 5, you do evil, you're condemned. So I think those, those are parallels. They're, they're, they're talking about the same groups of people. So the ones who do good in chapter 5, verse 29 are the believers. They're the ones who believe. They're the ones who receive the Word of Christ. Receive it meaning accept it as true and follow. Obey. Trust and obey. And Jesus says they're raised up to the resurrection of life. And the ones who've done evil are the ones who reject. They're not hearing. They're not believing. They're not obeying. And they are coming into judgment. According to verse 24 and according to verse 29, which is when they arrived there. So, those who have done good, as Jesus says it, are the believers, characterized by faith and obedience, trust and obey. And I was going to go there, but we don't have time, but Matthew 7 is a great um, parable for that, where Jesus is talking about the, the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man builds his house upon a rock, a foolish man builds his house upon the sand. And what, what that whole picture there is, 
is, is living according to His Word. His Word is the rock that we build on. And if, and if you build upon sand, that is, if you reject the Word of God, you reject the Word of Christ, you don't obey, then destruction is what awaits you. Your house will fall and great will be the fall of it. You're destroyed. So that's a great picture of it. Um, so, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. You trust and obey, that is, you remain in His Word. You've got the resurrection of life to look forward to. You've got life now. They are, verse 24 says, they're having life now. And then in the future, you've got the resurrection into life. That is the completion of our salvation, the glorified state in His presence forever. You've got that to look forward to. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word and for these precious promises that all who obey Obey the Gospel. Obey the Word of Christ. Obey Your commands. Have an eternity in Your presence to look forward to. We have the blessed state that we enjoy now. A fellowship with You. And the knowledge that it's, that it's unending. It's not, it's not going to end. It's just going to get better. When we leave this world through the door of death, and then, even better beyond that, at the resurrection, when we're glorified. And Lord, we also want to be aware of this real state that so many people are in. Apart from Christ, perishing, coming in to judgment lest they come to faith in Christ and believe the gospel Lord remind us empower us to be compassionate and to be diligent in our efforts to reach the lost, with the truth for their salvation and again for Your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.